At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. From the Shadows podcast, I'm your host, Shane Grove, and with me, again, this is three in a row, is the super producer, Jason. Greetings, everyone. <laughs> so, um, so Jason, now you're back, you're back into it here, you're, you're feeling good, are you, uh, are you sorry you came back, or are you still glad that you, that you were able to recover and come back? Oh, I am so grateful, so grateful to be back and uh, never wanted to leave in the first place. But uh, under the circumstances, I didn't have no choice and it's good to be back. I love being able to get a hold of our our fans and uh, all the other people that support the podcast. And it's just a good feeling. Good to be back. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, It was great to see all the comments here after the uh, after the last episode of everybody glad to glad that you were healthy and and back on the show. So that was kind of cool to see. So, um, you know, before we get started with the episode, though, I do want to remind everybody, if you have a story and you want to come on and hang out with me and Jason, um, you can find us at From the Shadows podcast on Facebook or After the Shadows, our forum page on Facebook. Uh, find me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram or From the Shadows Instagram page or or just the good old standby. Come to the From the Shadows podcast uh, website and hit the contact button. Send us an email and, uh, you know, we'll have you on the show, you know. So, um our guest tonight, though, okay, and and we kind of joked around a little bit before. I'm almost ashamed to have a Instagram handle that says Shane Grove author when we're going to talk about talk to the uh, talk to our guest to here on this uh, on this episode, Jason. I'm, I I I don't think I don't think I should be allowed to put author at the end of my name when we compare to this gentleman. What do you, do you I mean? I agree with you 100%. <laughs> now, 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 before we bring, now, before we bring on our distinguished guest, uh, 
Um, and we'll just, it's, it, it's Mr. Timothy Renner from the Strange Familiar podcast. Timothy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I, I, not to be confused with, and, and Jason, I had to set Jason straight. We weren't having Jeremy Renner on <laughs> to talk about the new Hawkeye movie. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love that guy for one reason. Well, two reasons. Number one, I'm a, I'm a superhero nerd, so, you know. Me too. But uh, <laughs> number two, no one could pronounce my name right before. And then once he started doing Avengers movies, suddenly everybody can pronounce my last name. I got Reiner, Reiner, everything else but Renner. And then uh, he got popular. I was like, yes. So now, now people can pronounce my name. Yeah. But you know what? You know what? Maybe um, he felt the same way until Strange Familiars became so huge and then you became such a well-known author. So maybe he, he, he felt to say, that guy that does the podcast, until, you know, everybody got my name wrong until the, you know, until, so I, I work both, the two of us, he's probably a little bit, you know, Avengers, probably a little bit more well-known than Strange Familiars at this point, but we'll see what we can do about that. Okay, Timothy, but I got to say one thing. You've bet on Coast to Coast AM. He has not. I have indeed. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And let's be honest, I'm not a I'm not a uh, superhero comic book nerd like you know you guys are self proclaimed, but Hawkeye is not one of the biggest names. I mean, come on! Oh, come like, on now! He's like sixth or seventh best. I mean, come on! Even I know that. <laughs> no, I can tell you didn't read many comic books. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, so so what's kind of cool. Um, is that uh, we have actually been having some strange familiar uh, promos on our show the last couple of weeks. And so it might seem surreal for uh, for our, our loyal listeners to have, I mean, hopefully they don't think this is just one big promo for strange familiars, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's, uh, so, it's called uh, syncretic marketing, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, whatever it's called, whatever it's called. But I, but so, so the reason, like, I was so excited when I when I saw like some of the people we could do some cross promotion with was is is I have love every time you're on with Wes on Sasquatch Chronicles, it is. I don't want to say you bring the level of you know great research up on the show. I mean, come on, West slacks a little bit, but um, you you are fantastic on the show, and I'm just teasing about Wes. He's great. So, you know, the odd thing is uh, a lot of stuff that a lot of revelations I've had, Wes has come to, and and he said on the show, and I've thought like, you know what, he's right about that, and then I'll I'll kind of. Do, you know, dive in a little bit further and, you know, write it up in a book or something and basically you'd bring it to Wes. And by that point, he's done, you know, 200 more shows or whatever. <laughs> and he's forgotten he's actually said it before I actually wrote about it. And I'm like, no, Wes, I actually, you know, I, I actually got this from you. So he's uh, Wes has been an important part of my journey, not just for having me on the show, but uh, his his journey in Bigfoot, I think, is one of the more interesting ones out there as well. If, if you listen to his early shows where he, you know, called anybody that, that talked about anything even remotely strange, a flute player. 
uh, to now where he has really kind of embraced the, the, the strangeness of the phenomenon. It's a really, really interesting and, and I feel like an honest journey. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Wes's and, and I just love the guy. So, yeah, he has done, he's done great things for us. I mean, he, he promotes us, uh, as much as he can. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to say that he's a fan, but he does, he's not a, He's not a hater of us. He must appreciate what we're doing because, or else he wouldn't he wouldn't put our put links to our shows up on his site and stuff. So I think I kind of think that's kind of a badge and badge of honor that he thinks enough of us to do that. And you know, and we're kind of, and I'll look and we're right along there with Strange Familiars and the Paranormal Portal. And uh, a couple of the other ones, it's like, how did we, what do we deserve, do to deserve that? You know, but uh, I think it's because we all kind of take our own approach to the subject. And it's a, like you said, it's an honest approach. Mm-hmm. And we listen to everybody because I just think it's you can learn, learn from everybody that, uh, that you cross paths with. You know, absolutely. And, absolutely yes. Yeah, I think that we show a passion uh, for it and with everybody having a different perspective uh, with the shows, but yet we all show a passion for the Bigfoot phenomenon or anything that's strange, cryptids in general. Um, I think that he appreciates that. Well, I I appreciate. So, so Timothy, why don't you share with our listeners how you started your journey down, down this path of becoming an author and a podcaster and just talking, you know, talking about everything that's uh, strange yet familiar. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been a lifetime passion for me, quite honestly. When I was little, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in what I call the golden age of Bigfoot. I was born in 1970. So uh, Patterson Gimlin film had been filmed, you know, three years before that. And In Search Of came on when I was a kid and uh it was kind of the bigfoot hit the pop culture you know his uh, legend of boggy creek came out and bigfoot was on the six million dollar man and you know, all that kind of stuff was happening as i was a kid so if, if you were interested in, in you know monsters like uh you know here was this uh this monster that was supposed to be real you know people were seeing it and uh, completely fascinating to me and and you know excited me as a kid and at the same time i was you know, hearing about ghost stories and stuff. And I didn't know this was was called folklore. (laughs) When I was a kid, it just sounded like cool stuff to me. So somebody would tell me about a a ghost story and, you know, that this, there's a ghost that people saw on this road and, you know, I'd I'd have to go and, you know, get on that road and, and visit that road and, and be the place where the ghost was. I always wanted to go to these places. It wasn't good enough just to hear the story. If it was supposed to be a true story, I wanted to go to the place where it happened um, didn't know that later in life that would become my job. Uh, but, uh, you know, it started early on when I was a kid, I, I'm sure I used to bug the heck out of my parents. Like, you know, I want to go here. I want to go here. And, you know, they said there's a ghost here. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know if it was encouraged by them, but it wasn't discouraged. You know, I wasn't uh, told not to do it, but, uh, I don't think, uh, my parents saw it as, as anything other than, you know, a, uh, passing interest of a child but uh it stuck with me and uh as i grew older um 
I, you know, I kind of lost interest when, when I found girls when I was a teenager and stuff. But, you know, <laughs> after after that, uh, came back to it as an adult and started looking into stuff. You know, had the Internet, typed in Bigfoot one day after not, you know, having thought about it for years and years. And all of a sudden, like this whole world opens up. It's like, wow, there's a lot of information out there. And, uh, you know, kind of became more and more interested and, and it started building over time. And I had written some, I had written an article for a friend of mine published a magazine called Morbid Curiosity. That was all um, true stories. Uh, it, they should have true stories about people who were like, like maybe somebody's a grave digger and they'd write, you know, a, a true story about their job or something or a true ghost story or something, you know, this whole, whole variety. It was all true stories. And I had been doing illustrations for her, and, and she asked me, she's like, well, do you have any stories? And I was like, well, yeah, there's this, this story of uh, this hex, hex hollow here where, where I live in York County, which is a, you know, a hex murder, a so-called hex murder. A, a guy was a local, uh, the powwow uh, guy, which is a local form of uh, folk magic and kind of like faith healing and stuff. And uh, so one thing led to another, and he basically got accused of, of hexing these people. And they went down, they ended up killing the poor guy. And it became this uh, kind of local case of, of infamy. They call it the hex murder. And where he was killed, they call hex hollow and stuff. So I wrote a little story about that. And uh, I wrote a couple other articles as well for uh, over time. And that kind of started my, my writing career. And the, the people who did the um, weird weird usa weird pennsylvania they don't you know the, the weird books for every state they read that article on hex hollow and they contacted me and said hey can we can we print this in the weird pennsylvania book and i said sure at the time they had done a just a little magazine called weird new jersey they weren't you know a huge publishing venture so i thought this was going to be like a you know self-published book that's just a little thing and at the same time, they said, hey, there's this this place called, you know, Toad Road that's near you. We we take some photographs of it. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And I said, but please let me uh, let me see the article before you publish it, because there's a lot of nonsense published about Toad Road. And, you know, I really, you know, like to see what you're going to print before you print it. Well, they didn't they didn't consult me at all. And they printed this story off the Internet. It was basically a bunch of nonsense. So it was cool to be published in their book, to have a story in it and have a bunch of photographs in the book. But at the same time, I was like, oh, they got their they did not get the story right for Toad Road. And I thought one day I'm going to I'm going to correct that. And I started writing, which would would I thought would be a magazine article. I didn't know where it was going to be published. But, I, you know, I thought it was going to be an article and it ended up turning into my first book. It just exploded into my first book, which is Beyond the Seventh Gate, which starts out correcting this uh this false story about the place and then ends up finding all the other weird stuff that happened around it and we're all the weird stuff in the area and just became this, you know, the, the, so that was the beginning of my, my writing career, sort of uh, correcting something from the, the weird Pennsylvania and weird USA books. So, and, okay. So for everybody that maybe that's where you grew up was Pennsylvania then. And that's I grew where up, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Northern Maryland. But I had, I had moved. Oh, Northern. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, so a stone's throw away from from York County where I live now. But, uh, but you know, I I moved here my young adulthood. And and so it appears Pennsylvania has got some really crazy stuff. 
that goes that has gone on there. I mean, when I'm looking through your your books, uh, you do have what at least two, right? That kind of focus on stuff in Pennsylvania. Well, I have, uh, so my first book was Beyond the Seventh Gate. That was the one I was talking about. I did a follow-up to that called Don't Look Behind You, which is kind of more, uh, I, more witnesses came forward and I found more history about the area, Toad Road, that I wrote about in that first book. So I, I had enough for a second book. So that's, you know, more on that area. And then my most recent book is called the Witch Cloud, which, ha- which has to do with uh, haunted bridges in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, more or less. It's it's kind of oh, kind of yeah. more than there that. But... Yeah. And then okay. uh, I have a book, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, as well, which is historical articles. So yeah, there's there's plenty in Pennsylvania. So, so for, and it seems like um, um, like as far as Bigfoot goes, there's a lot of Bigfoot activity in Pennsylvania. See. Because, you you know, we grew up, you know, Jason and I grew up the same era that you grew up, okay? And so growing up, I don't think for a second I ever thought that there was Bigfoot in Ohio. And you probably didn't think the same, you probably thought the same thing about Maryland, Pennsylvania area, right? That it was just something in the North Pacific Northwest? For the most mm. part, yeah. I, I remember I had heard a couple stories that somebody had seen Bigfoot in Maryland when I was growing up. But it was such a, it was doubted so much that, you know, the the same way it would be today. But at the time I didn't, you know, you're just a kid. You can't suss out what's going on really. And I think that the general theory was like, oh no, it must be a hoax because Bigfoot's from California and Oregon and Washington state. It's not, you know, it's not on the East coast. So yeah, for the most part, Bigfoot was something that was out West, uh, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it, 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 so yeah, and because um, I, I mean, I just and of course the the longer we've done the podcast, the more stories we've gotten from Ohio that aren't just last week, you know, that happened thirty, forty, fifty years ago, right? Yeah, when I'm when we'd have been growing up, and it's like, wow, how cool would that have been to have the ability to know those stories back then as a kid. You know, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. If we had the internet, that would have made all the difference in the world, absolutely. I think the internet blew things open for this stuff. It's so much, you know, before that, you were just you're really kind of tied into whatever you could find locally, whatever was in the library, whatever they happened to print in the papers. But the internet has made it so easy for people to get in contact with, well, with podcasts like us, like you, mm-hmm. like Wes, right. and but you know, every other place too, like you know, uh, Facebook groups on Bigfoot, you name it, just people everywhere coming out of the woodwork. If if we just eliminated everything else off the internet but Bigfoot, it would be the perfect tool. Okay? <laughs> you know, let's, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Um, and it is, and I've heard I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of researchers that. The really the genesis of their diving headfirst into it was when they, like you, typed in Bigfoot for the first time um, on that search engine, you know, <laughs> on AOL or something. And it was like, wow, there, there's already Bigfoot groups, mm-hmm. you know, and people sharing stories. Um, I, I just didn't have, I mean, who gets who has cool friends that have a magazine called Morbid Curiosity? I mean, <laughs> I did, I, you know, I mean, 
I didn't have any cool friends like that. I mean, that <laughs> um, you have to look back at that and say, as as far as like uh, an opportunity to do something you loved at, at uh, I'm guessing at fairly early age, had to be a blessing. Is when you look to where you are now. Certainly, yeah, and I, I think um, you know I was doing so much artwork that uh, I had a, a one foot in the door anyway. So, you know, I think uh, <laughs> anybody who was a friend of mine that did anything like an independent publication like that was was pretty much going to hit me up for artwork anyway, which I was happy to do. By the way, I was I was always uh, I love to get stuff published. My my brother did a uh, a skate zine, a skate fanzine when I was like fourteen or something. And he let me draw the cover, like you know, he just xeroxed it or whatever, and stapled it together. But that was like my first, you know, published work. And I remember him like showing me this my drawing on the cover of this thing, and you know, I was hooked right then. I was like, "This is, I want to do this." You know, it was absolutely amazing. So uh, I've always kind of been involved in that like self publishing world, I guess, as a as a result of that. That's pretty awesome. But uh, what is so? So what a I mean, so you've always had an interest in this and you said you kind of like went out and, and, and maybe visited some places as a young kid and, and tried to follow up on some of the stories you heard. But when now, when did you first experience anything or have you experienced anything? Am I just assuming? Oh, no, I, something? I see the weird thing was is. I I had some like just weird kind of UFO stuff when I was a kid and I wasn't that interested in it. I mean, I was interested in it. It was it was cool, but it took me, you know, years and years to kind of come around to it. When, uh, the earliest thing I remember was my mom. I lived on a farm in northern Maryland. My mom woke me up when I was like eight. And one night she's like, hey, you want to see a UFO? I was like, what, what eight year old kid is going to say no to that? Right. <laughs> Heck yeah, I want to see a UFO. And uh, I remember she took me outside and one of my brothers, I was the youngest of six, one of my brothers and my sister was out there and just staring at this UFO over top the, the trees on the horizon. Uh, it, was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, now, there is a, a weird aspect of the story that uh, everyone else went inside. They got bored and, and I wanted to stay out and watch it. So I stayed out. And I, yeah, I know people hear that and they think, oh, eight-year-old kid. It wasn't that unusual for me to be out. Like I had a very protective dog and, uh, you know, it was just we lived on a farm. There wasn't anybody around. Nothing was going to hurt me, you know. Uh, so it's kind of like, OK, you know, come in when, when you're done looking at this thing. Um, I don't remember how I got back inside. My next memory is staring at this UFO from inside the house from a window. So I could have just forgotten how i got inside you know it was a long time ago or something <clears throat> are we went on there well, i was gonna i was gonna say was this an abduction that you don't remember and we're I, gonna make a breakthrough right I now know. where you that's kind of that's kind of uh i i just can't imagine a, a parent saying hey come on out let's you know like like let's go let's see the UFO and then just come back inside. When you're... See and <laughs> the, she, my mom was a she was different because like so I was all I've always been into like, you know weird stuff and you know horror and and you know drew nothing but skulls and and horror stuff and monsters and uh, everything and and uh, she was very you know very much. Uh, 
on the surface, she wanted everything to be respectable. So, you know, so me, I wanted to, you know, wear horrible, ugly skull T-shirts and everything. And they said that she was appalled by that. At the same time, she was a huge Stephen King fan. She she got every Stephen King book, like first printing the minute it came out. And I remember just looking like, Mom, like, like come on, like you're you're the Stephen King head and uh, you're coming down on me for for liking all these skulls and, and all this horror stuff. But uh, it's, it was kind of like about appearances for her. Um, but I never got to ask her um, by the time I started like really getting seriously into the stuff where I was documenting cases and writing books and stuff. Uh, she had MS and she had uh, progressive MS. So she ended up in a nursing home at a pretty young age. And she wasn't really kind of with it enough to talk about. So I never really did get to ask her, like, hey, why did you, why did you, you know, take me outside as a little kid? Why did you wake me up? Was that, you know, had you seen UFOs before? What's the deal with all that? Um, I, I do remember seeing a, an orb, a, a, what we call a will-o'-the-wisp, in the backyard one night. And I remember getting my mom and saying, what is that? What's that down there? Because I, I knew it wasn't a firefly. It was too big to be a firefly. And she very casually said, oh, that's a will-o'-the-wisp. And she was so matter-of-fact about it that I didn't think there was anything strange about it at all until much, much later. You know, so I started reading about will-o'-the-wisps and stuff later in life. And wow, she was very casual about that. Now, I don't know if she was saying that just to make sure I didn't get scared as a kid or, if she, again, if she had seen them before or what. But I, th I think there was more to my mom than than I knew. And And like I said, by the time I was getting to the point where I was, you know, seriously into this stuff to the point where I'm asking everybody I know, you know, has anything weird happened to you? Uh, it was, it was too late to ask mom. So, uh, I, that's, that's a mystery for the ages. Oh, that's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a shame for sure, because it sounds like she was kind of cool. Very you know, cool. Like, mom. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe way, you know, way cooler than you even realized at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think sure. she might've seen some stuff. I don't know. I don't know. She might have been like, I, when you keep talking, when you're describing this, all I can think of is Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And that's like, you know, how he was obsessed and, and <laughs> he knew, he, and he knew what was going on. And, and, and it's that time frame. And I picture you as that little kid on close, you know, where all the toys were going nuts <laughs> in that, in that one scene. That's what I, that's what I picture from the seventies is, uh, is, uh, you're just wandering out of the farm, you know, and then and here's the aliens trying to get you back out there by, uh, you know, setting all the toys off and the and you crawling out the doggy door. After <laughs> the, <laughs> that's a, that's that's what I'm picturing. So, yeah, but I, you know, as an adult, I look back on that and I was like, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot, and here I, you know, I actually saw a UFO. I didn't have any, I, you know. I, I look back and, and I'm glad I didn't have anything happen in the woods. I spent my whole childhood in the woods. Nothing weird ever happened to me that I that I can recall in the woods when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I was obsessed with Bigfoot and, and here this this UFO thing happens. And I was kind of like, oh, that's neat. And then really didn't, you know, I, did, I wasn't reading books about UFOs like I was reading books about Bigfoot as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, rem <clears throat> I remember that. You know that time I w I was doing the same same thing, and I've said before. You know, every time this weekly uh, reader book 
or those scholastic book things would come out and I'd get anything on like the uh, Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. uh, any of the any of the ghost stuff and and the Bigfoot stuff. And it was just it was like it was like, man, I would have just done anything for that to happen to me as a kid. And now as an adult, I'm like, God, thank God it didn't happen to me as a kid. I'd really, <laughs> I'd, really screwed, I'd really be screwed up. I've had some experiences. I, mean, I don't in the, remember in, at all. I've had some experiences in the I, woods I, as an adult that have made me like nothing's going to keep me from the woods, but I've definitely I've taken a break from the woods for for a few weeks <laughs> as an adult. Well, I, and if that well, happened to me as a kid, I would have been crushed because I just I spent every minute I could out in the woods. Well, I remember as a kid where I grew up, and I mean, and we still live in the same area, really rural Ohio, and you didn't even hardly see a deer. Okay, and it was like. They just weren't that common, and I'm like, I'm thinking, is that why we didn't Bigfoot didn't make it to Ohio in uh, in the 70s like that because we didn't have the deer population that we do now because the deer population is ridiculous in Ohio as I'm sure it is in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, and uh, and so I wonder if that since that food source has become so abundant that that's why. You know, there's so many sightings in Pennsylvania and Ohio. I just want, I mean, I wonder that. I mean, you're the researcher. Why am I wondering? You probably know. I I mean, I'm going to be the the very unpopular guy who's like, well, I'm so not a flesh and blood guy at this point where I'm just like, I don't think that matters. (laughs) (laughs) Not that they don't don't eat. I mean, they eat. Obviously, people have seen them eating, but, you know, they eat. But uh, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know. And and also, I think there there probably was a lot more sightings in Ohio than you ever knew. You know, it's just yeah, that's what I believe now. I believe there probably was a lot of sightings. Yeah. We just didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Well, people didn't most certainly didn't talk about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we think it, it's it really has and that and the blessing with the like I said the internet and podcasts and stuff is. It is way more mainstream. Like I don't, I don't get any, I don't get any flack for uh, for what we do. People want to just hear stories. You know, it's like uh, I, I can imagine twenty years ago, people like you're just wasting your time talking right. to people about that stuff. And now it's like, okay, what's the best story you've been told that you couldn't put on the air? Or right. you know, what about this? You know, this this story. What's the extra part of that? You know. So I think it has really um, brought it to the forefront and allowed more people to feel comfortable to uh, to tell their stories. But Absolutely. I'm curious, what then made you become less of a flesh and blood uh, and more of a, I, I guess for lack of a, more of a paranormal uh, person when it comes to, because I'm not going to say the word woo, but mm-hmm. oh wait, I just did. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I, I'm so, I'm so, reclaiming that, that, so it's it's not a dirty word anymore. So okay. So so what what what? Uh, how did that transformation, if that's what I can call it, come into being in your uh, career as a as a researcher? Yeah, I mean, I started out as flesh and blood as everybody else. You know, it's it's the logical place to start. I think. Um. But over time, the more information I got, and especially 
in Pennsylvania, especially in the part of Pennsylvania I live, you know, I started getting accounts, a lot of accounts, a lot of, you know, a lot of witnesses contacting me. I've seen this thing all times a year. They're, they're seeing them, you know, and sometimes in places that's, that aren't very remote at all. And it, it's made me think like, well, what's going on here? Like if there's, if there's a breeding population, we, we should be able to find them. So that was a big aspect of it. Um, another thing is um, witness witnesses. So talking with witnesses and I never blame a hunter who sees one, you know, like walk under their tree stand or something or, or a, a roadside witness, you know, they see one cross the road in front of them or something. They're very, very sure it's a real animal when they see him. And I never blame them for thinking that, they'll, you know, a lot of times they'll just tell you straight up, nope, it's just an animal. It's just an animal. And they're sure of it because what they saw looked like a, and acted like a, like an animal for sure. But when you talk to these witnesses who have repeat encounters, like people who have them come on their property, it, I won't say always, but it often gets very, very weird. And they'll start talking about strange lights in the woods that accompany them. They'll talk about poltergeist activity in their house. They'll talk about hearing weird voices, uh, sometimes, you know, in English, sometimes in an unknown language. They start talking about all this other weird stuff along with Bigfoot. And that was a huge part of it for me. It was like, okay, there's something more going on here. Uh, so that was that was it for me. And then uh, another big part of it is I hang out with um, some guys who are really, really into foraging. Uh, some of them, like my main research partner, Chad, and, and um, my other, uh, sometimes uh, he's on the podcast. He's my sometimes research partner, John. Those guys are huge into foraging. They're, you know, they can, they're the guys you want to be with if you get stuck in the woods. You know, they, they'll find you something to eat. And uh, both of them were like, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know what, you know, if they're eating, <laughs> that's a big animal and they got to eat a lot. And uh, again, this is based on, you know, around here. Like when you get to the woods in the Pacific Northwest, we're talking about a different landscape. And <laughs> we're talking about an area with true wilderness. So, you know, I do leave a possibility of there being, you know, a natural creature out there. But as time goes on, that possibility, that window gets, you know, smaller and smaller for me. I, I don't know what they are. I don't I don't necessarily know that it's paranormal. That's a good word for it, because it's whatever it is. It's so far beyond a natural animal and its abilities. And um, if it is something that evolved, it has so many advantages that, that other creatures don't have, evolutionarily speaking, that it might as well be paranormal. You know, it's so outside of anything other animals can do that, you know, it's beyond our understanding. So it, if it's not paranormal, it might as well be. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's yep. true. That's true. There's not, there doesn't seem to be, in our definition of normal, much normal about it. You know what I'm saying? So, but I'm curious, the, the poltergeist activity. Um, so people are experiencing these creatures on the property, seeing them. And then there's poltergeist activity in the house or yeah. vice versa, oh, yeah. or, 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 or is the poltergeist activity a precursor to them seeing? 
it can go either way. It can, yeah. it can honestly go either way. Um, if you look at what they, people call Class B stuff in the woods, Class B Bigfoot encounters, think about what they are. We're talking about stones being thrown. We're yeah. talking about bad smells. We're talking about uh, unknown language or you know growls and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, footprints from some, or footsteps rather from something unseen. Um, these are all poltergeist activity. This is all poltergeist activity. It, it happens in the house. It's poltergeist. If it happens in the woods, they say it's Bigfoot. People get stones thrown at them. If, if you, you can look at poltergeist encounters, very often people will talk about stones being thrown in the house. They will get stones thrown at them inside their house, and they pick them up, and they're warm. Now, Bigfoot, that happens in the Bigfoot world. People say, oh, Bigfoot was holding this in their hand, in his hand, and that's why it's warm when I picked up the stone Bigfoot threw at me. But it, it happens in houses all the time, and people pick up these these stones that come out of nowhere, and their houses in the, during these poltergeist fits, and they're warm when they pick them up. I mean, this people talk about it bad smells. You know, they, they'll describe it as like sulfur-like bad smells, just like people talk about with Bigfoot, except it's inside yep. the house. And so, a lot of this Class B stuff, what people are talking about with Bigfoot seems to be just poltergeist activity in the woods but also yes people people are experiencing poltergeist activity in their houses while they're having bigfoot stuff or ghosts even uh yeah. while they're having bigfoot on their property it's you know this compounding of uh you know paranormal activity or events that uh that seems to accompany this stuff like the orb association with the bigfoot also oh yeah, oh, yeah. yep yeah, that's well, super common. So if I get called out to somebody who's just like said they have Bigfoot on their property, I, I, I take the report and I try not to lead the witness. I, I tell it, look at them, tell me everything about Bigfoot. Where did they see it? How tall is it? You know, what were the weather conditions? Where's the nearest creek? I try to get all the, the normal information that any other Bigfoot guy would get from. When they're done telling their story, I ask a, one more simple question. I say, what else weird has happened around here? And they'll say... Not 100% of the time, but probably better than 80% of the time. They'll say, well, my house is haunted. And then they'll tell me that story. Or they'll say, well, you know, I saw a UFO, you know, right over that cornfield over there. So it's, you know, I'm not leading the witnesses into this. This is something, you know, people are experiencing this stuff and they're experiencing these multiple phenomena. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Do you, do you think, because I've sort of thought this, and so I want to get your take, because, you know, like, Jason and I are, and, and the other guys on the, uh, are on the podcast, other than the judge, because he seems to have all kinds of crazy stuff happen to him, but, um, you know, we're, we're more of enthusiasts than researchers. We love to talk about it and, and read about it and, and, uh. You know, but we're not out there every every day, every week in the you know doing research like like you obviously are. So uh, how do I want to put this? The UFO stuff with Bigfoot. Have you come up with a correlation to that, or do you think it's just a just a coincidence, or that there's definitely a tie-in at some level with that? The way I put it in my book is how weird is it for anyone to see Bigfoot? How how unusual? How rare? And then how rare is it for anyone to see a UFO? And then when you're telling me that someone's seeing Bigfoot and UFO either at the same time or in the same place within a couple of days of each other, that's way too much to be a coincidence in my book. Mm-hmm. How they're related, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm not going to make a guess. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Bigfoot's flying around in UFOs or anything like that. I don't know is, is the short answer. But it's just too much to me to ignore. I can't ignore those two things. When I first got into it, a lot of the, the uh, flesh and blood Bigfoot guys who've been, you know, doing it since the 1970s told me, oh, yeah, 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 this weird stuff happens, but it it rarely ever happens, so ignore it, is basically what they were saying. But I couldn't ignore it. There's too much of it to ignore. How can you ignore that when all of these Bigfoot reports in Pennsylvania have UFO reports with them? I mean, thank goodness there's people like Stan Gordon who've been documenting this stuff since, you know, forever, since since I was a kid. And and I love Stan to death. not just for that reason, but because he's just a, a cool human being. I really like him. But thank goodness he's been documented because we can go back and look at his reports, you know, back into 73 and, and even a little bit earlier where he was documenting the stuff where people were seeing these, you know, big hairy things and, you know, saw a UFO either at the same time or right around the same time within a day or two in the same place. So it's, it's, to me, it's just it's too much to be a coincidence. But I can't I can't tell you what the connection is because we really don't know what UFOs are. Uh, I don't think they're little scientists from another planet. I don't know what they are, but you know, we don't know what they are. Anybody who tells you they know what they are, they need to provide proof. Uh, and we don't know what Bigfoot is, honestly. And anybody who tells you they know what it is, they need to provide proof. You know, we can make guesses. We can say it acts like an ape. It acts like a primate. It acts like a hominid, but we don't know what it is. So uh, I, I can't tell you that why there's a connection, but I can only say, like, I, I feel like there's definitely a connection. They're definitely being sa- seen, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I do. So, so I know a lot of times when we first, 
we first really got, you know, had started the podcast and it would seem like if somebody saw one thing, it kind of almost in our minds opened the door that they were allowing themselves to be open to seeing anything. Okay. But now it almost seems like, you know, hearing some of what you're saying is all this stuff may just be in conjunction anyway. It may not be separate events. They all they all might be tied together. So it's not a matter of, well, if I've seen a UFO, then my mind is open to the prospect of experiencing a ghost or experiencing a Bigfoot. It's mm-hmm. it's the fact that maybe they're all tied to, they're all tied together. You know, it's uh, hard for me to separate them anymore. It really is because you know there's so much crossover between these these different things. Um, and I know it's it, it sounds like I'm copping out when I'm you know I refuse to say like oh Bigfoot's interdimensional, but it just goes back to again like we we don't know what it is and we I don't even know if we know re- exactly what interdimensional means, you know it's I, it, it's fun to think about that as a possibility but we you know who knows we don't know what is that it means. really is it really fun to think about that <laughs> I mean it but, is <laughs> I mean I'm I'm three episodes into the to the latest thing of Stranger Things. There's nothing fun about what I what's going on in that. You know what I'm saying? And that's another <laughs> dimension. Everything comes over from that dimension into Hawkins is uh, nothing. Nothing seems very much very fun <laughs> to think about. So uh, hopefully that's the best. That's the, maybe that's the worst because to me it doesn't seem like uh, Bigfoot and UFOs have uh, are all the time malicious. At least. You know, no, it doesn't, doesn't sound that way. No, there seems to be a, a vast ecosystem of things uh, with all different types of demeanor out there. Sometimes they seem really angry and really mean, and sometimes they seem uh, um, humorous, and sometimes they seem indifferent to us. So the problem is, I guess you, you never know what you're going to get. Well, it's just like people. Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, people people seem surprised when they go out there and they and they have different, ex, you know, you hear different experiences, but it all depends on catch somebody on a good day or if you're in their back, really in their backyard or you caught them doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, you know, mm-hmm. or or uh, it, that's just people. That's that's the human aspect, I think, of these creatures is that they're unpredictable because that's because people are unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're, and they're unpredictable in a way, in a human way, not an animal way is, mm-hmm. the, is, is the way it seems from the reports that I hear, you know, and <laughs> go ahead, Jason. No, I was just going to say, I wanted to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the things we can all agree on, regardless of whether you're on either side of the fence or whether they're being supernatural or whether they're uh, a flesh and blood animal or something in between, every account that we've heard on our show and on other shows, there has been signs of some type of intelligence. Nobody has described Bigfoot without uh, being awed by the presence or by the, 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 it's like they exude this intelligence. Some people even claim that telepathically they're being communicated to. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, I mean, so if it is a, a you know, a natural creature, a flesh and blood thing, it's got to be super smart to stay hidden for so long, you know? Yes. And it, it certainly seems to express intelligence. Um, and a, if it's not a human-like intelligence, it's it's almost like a an alien intelligence. And by that, I don't mean it comes from another planet. I mean, it's it's so different from us that uh it reacts in ways that that is is literally alien to us um mm -hmm. sometimes but but uh, again like you said it seems to be very intelligent you know no matter what it is and 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 interested in us right yes mm -hmm. yeah. yeah which may be its biggest mistake very <laughs> interested in us. and and the the one book i saw that that you had written was a collection of stories and reports and newspaper articles from all the way back into the 1800s. Yeah. Now, how does that go in? So those reports now are more of, do you think people were seeing uh, a Bigfoot type creature every time or there were quote unquote, wild men out there people that just were living off the grid that you know were right um hermits or scratch right you know, so was... so that's that's the issue when, when someone says wild man in these old articles it could be you know just a mountain man that wandered into town and you know guy long hair and a beard and they're like ah it's a wild man you know could be a guy that escaped from jail and he's you know raising hell and they're like ah he's a wild man so part of it's the context of the article. Part of it is following up on the article. So if somebody sees a, you know, the, you know, we saw a wild man outside of town and then you go forward in the newspaper a couple of days and they're like, Hey, Sheriff Brown caught the wild man. He's in jail now. And, you know, then he's, his name is Bob Smith or whatever it is, you know, you go, okay, that was a person. Some of them are, you never get that. And you go, well, okay, that could be either. And, when I do those books, admittedly, I, I like the stories of, of the crazy guys, too. So I, I kind of I cast a broad net. And uh, if I can't find that follow up article that says, like, you know, yeah, definitely that was a guy, he, you know, he ended up in jail or they, they discovered it's just an old miner or whatever. If I can't find that. Follow up article, I'll tend to just throw it in and just like leave it up to the reader. You know, OK, you decide. Was this a Bigfoot? Was it not? But some of these articles they're talking about, you know, eight foot tall things covered in hair. You know, I'd, I'd say certainly they're talking about what we call Bigfoot today. Mm -hmm. and, and so I want to ask you that most notably is you find these newspaper articles. There's not a comment section down <laughs> at the bottom where everybody's throwing their two cents worth in. Right. Not like today. If you put a if you put that article. Oh, that would have been so Facebook. wonderful if we would have had that back in the day. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but. Um, because you're talking in the mid eight in the mid 1800s, there's no frame of they didn't know what gorillas were, right? Really, okay. So it wasn't like anybody was describing, um, and saying it looked like a gorilla or it looked like a monkey because they didn't really know that frame of reference. But how many times in those articles does somebody say, "Well, it looked like a bear on two feet"? You get that sometimes. Do you um, get that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I I thought it was a bear, but it was uh, you know, it ran on two legs, and it you know, 
whatever. Um, but it had red glowing eyes or whatever. You know, they called him Wild Man. The really interesting thing is about that is they called him Wild Man until the late 1800s when the mountain gorilla from Africa uh, became known to to the West. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to say discovered because the African people knew it. They knew it was there already. But it became familiar and known to the West. And they started bringing gorillas over from Africa to, you know, having zoos and circuses and so forth. And people started seeing photographs of them. I go, okay. And now they have something to call it other than wild man. So right around 1890 or so and up until about 1920, you get they change from wild man reports in the paper to suddenly gorilla reports. Now people are seeing gorillas all over Pennsylvania. Now there weren't, there weren't gorillas in Pennsylvania. They, uh, they tried to say, Oh, they, it escaped from a wreck circus train. My wife happens to be a, a circus historian. She knows she can find, she knows exactly how many circus train wrecks there were. In fact, we know exactly how many gorillas they had in the United States at any given time, uh, because they were super expensive. They were like, like over a couple million dollars in today's money. So, you know, not that many people had them. Barnum might have had one. The New York Zoo had one. That was about it. You know, uh, most of these traveling circuses didn't have gorillas. They were way too expensive and way too hard to care for. So when you start getting, you know, hundreds of uh, gorilla reports in Pennsylvania in the 1920s, it's like, nah, they're not escape gorillas. That's not <laughs> happening. Uh, so that's interesting you know around about 1930 it changes again and they start being in the papers they call them hairy monsters what was happening in the 1930s monster movies monster movies are coming out there you go yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep. now they're calling them hairy monsters up until you know the 50s and 60s where you get you just start to get bigfoot creeping in and then uh you know after that bigfoot and sasquatch so it's really really interesting how it kind of changes in the newspaper but the thing i like about them is the consistency of the reports and that's what really drew me in about them so if i'm reading a report from you know the 1860s 1870s and i see something like Oh, you know, this thing followed me home. You know, I was hunting. I took a shot at this thing. It followed me home. Now it knocks on my windows and climbs on my roof at night. And I thought, I, I go, well, well, because we're talking about, you know, you listen to Sasquatch Chronicles, you hear reports of them climbing on roofs all the time. That is a weird detail. And I know the people, these modern witnesses, they're... There, these articles aren't easy to find. I spent a lot of time digging these articles up. They weren't going back and reading these articles before, you know, before I dug them out and published them. So they weren't going back and like, oh, let me go read these old Wildman articles from the 1800s so I can match the details in my modern report. I'm sorry, it just wasn't happening. So you have the consistency of these witness reports of these weird things like, you know, knocking on the house or knocking on the windows and climbing on the roof and stuff, uh, the, the way dogs react to them, et cetera, et cetera, the, being shot and them either you know, knowing what guns are by sight or, uh, you know, having no reaction to being shot. Uh, or like I said, like following people home after they, they shoot them and people are basically harassed by the creatures afterwards. These are really, really interesting and kind of unique details. And when I start getting them in these old reports and then the, the same details are coming up in modern reports, that to me, so it's like, Oh yeah, there's something here. That, well, what I'm really, you know, <laughs> I mean, we keep talking about Sasquatch Chronicles because it's such a little-known show, and he needs, <laughs> he needs he needs he needs more listeners. He um, needs our help, yeah. He needs it, yeah. <laughs> poor guy. Um, but uh, one 
people will come on his show and, you know, and like I said, we have, uh, you know, people come on ours that, that didn't even know in this day and age, like this week, didn't even know there was podcasts out there about Bigfoot. Right. And, and they're like, well, I didn't know, you know, and I started listening and I, and I started comparing notes to my experience. And it's fascinating to hear that, you know, like, like they up until just recently didn't think, didn't even know anybody else had seen one mm-hmm. and thought they were the only one that was correct, which it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And then to know, like you've done the research and have, have these same stories for 150, you know, 160, 70 years, if, you know, if not longer, you know, that's, that's just crazy. I mean, yeah, but the, it, it does tie, it does tie it. The through line is amazing. Right. Yeah. It's the consistency of behavior of, of these things, wherever they are, you know, over, you know, multiple hundreds of years. That is uh, so fascinating to me. And it's just like, well, yeah, there's something, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. It's the same thing, I think, that, that people are dealing yeah. with. So so before everybody thinks that um, all you do is Bigfoot, um, and we, because I want to ask about some other, other subjects that you touch on, what, have you had any sort of experience out there that you would classify as, as a Bigfoot experience? I'm real careful about I've seen something big in the woods that that's just too big to be in this part of Pennsylvania. And it was so quick that I, you know, I, I don't know if I can call it Bigfoot, but there's an interesting story that goes with it. And it kind of it kind of uh, weaves into a, a bunch of other stories of, of kind of high strangeness that, that followed it. Well, this is not a circus train wrecking, is it? No, no. Okay, okay, okay. I just, I just want to make sure. <laughs> so there's a the, the area I write about in my first book is called Toad Road. It's not a road. It's an old towpath uh, for uh, there's a creek and it was the towpath for bringing barges down the creek. And uh, just over time, it, it went from the tow road to Toad Road. You know, somebody misheard it or something, and it kind of changed into Toad Road. And that uh, it's closed. And it's, it's private property. And no, it's not any place where people should be hiking. And, uh, the, you know, I've made it uh, one of the places I visit somewhat frequently. And I went there one time with with a friend of mine. And we had hiked about, I don't know, either half or three quarters of the trail, whatever it was. Um, we didn't do the whole thing for whatever reason. He wanted to turn around. It's It's an out and back thing. Uh, he's kind of got to go out and back. And for whatever reason, he wanted to turn around before we had done the whole thing. And I said, okay, but uh, let's come back and do the whole thing next week. Cause I, I'm weird. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm a weird completist like that. I have to do the whole thing. It's like a obsession for me. I have to hike the, the whole way through. So on the way out, two strange things happened. Number one, we ran into uh, what they call the, the wall of stink. Uh, I don't know if you've heard Bigfoot witnesses talk about this. It's just a just a big wall of stink, like about two feet wide. You can walk into it, smells horrible, and you can walk out of it. And you can you, know, you don't smell it until you walk into it. You don't and you don't smell it when you walk out of it. You can turn around and walk back into it and smell it again. It is the most bizarre thing. And we're sitting there, you know, just over and over doing this. I'm like, check this out. You know, you can walk into it and walk out of it, and pretty amazed by that. And a few you know, feet from there. 
I found in the middle of the trail a raccoon skull, uh, perfectly clean. And now I could have I could have stepped over that on the way in. It's possible, but it's highly unlikely. And I'll tell you why. I've collected skulls since I was a little kid. I loved them. I love to draw them. I've I've always you know always on the lookout for them. I'm kind of tuned to them in the woods. I I find a lot of them. And uh, the fact that I would have walked, just stepped over that thing seems very unlikely to me, but maybe. Anyway, I pick up this raccoon skull, made plans to come back in a week. The week comes, my friend couldn't go. It's like, okay, let's try next week. Second week comes, he couldn't go. Okay, third week comes, he can't go. I'm like, forget it, I'm going out by myself. I'm going to do it by myself. By this time, the it's kind of into April. It was like kind of March the first time we went. Now it's into April and stuff's really growing up here. It's getting the, the trail gets real nasty and, and it's not a fun hike. This isn't any place anyone's hiking for pleasure. So I go back and I'm in about the same place, about the same place where I found that raccoon skull and I'm headed south and I hear something ahead of me in the brush. And I, I look up and just for a second, I see something really big just shoot. So it's going the same direction I am. It just shoots away south right through the, you know, the, and through the brush and my first thought when I saw it, and this is really bizarre, my first thought when I saw it was like moose. <laughs> Not because it was on four legs, but because it was moving in this really awkward way. And I'd see the moose in Massachusetts in the woods. And uh, they just they have a different gait than than deer, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought that was was a moose, and it was, you know that's the first thought that came to my head, like moose. And of course, it's like there's no moose in Pennsylvania. It's absolutely impossible, especially not in southern Pennsylvania. So, not out of bravery, I don't know. I don't know what came over me. I shot off after this thing as fast as I could go, without even really thinking. Now I'm, you know, I'm out there a lot, but I'm not. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to chase this stuff. You know, if it comes to me, that's one thing. I'm not running after this stuff. I'm not one of these guys like, oh, if I hear Bigfoot, I'm running for it. No, I'm, I'm happy to see what happens. You know, but this day, for whatever reason, I just took off, and I headed as fast as I could in the direction of, that this thing went, and uh, you know, probably followed it for I don't know, a quarter of a mile, half a mile, whatever, and suddenly, right there in the middle of the path at eye level and it wasn't there when when I was there a couple weeks before with my friend was a deer skull impaled on a branch right in the middle of the trail at eye level and it stopped me in my tracks and you know people said oh do you know what was that a warning that was a warning I don't think I didn't feel like it was a warning I don't know what feelings are worth but for whatever they are worth my feeling was it was like, oh, you like that little raccoon skull, did you? Well, I'm going to give you something you're really going to like. That's the feeling I got from this thing. Now, could a human have come down there and impaled down a branch? Sure. There shouldn't be any people in there. And like I said, it's not, this isn't a place where people are hiking for fun. It's not a fun, you know, hiking trail or anything like that. It's just, it's pretty nasty down there, especially when it gets overgrown. But, uh, that was really odd, and that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And and uh, I, I put that deer skull in my pack and took it home with me, as I did the raccoon skull. But that started a series of events where every, not every, but I'll say like, I'll say seventy percent, but it was probably more like eighty-five percent of the paranormal calls I went out on. So somebody called me; they saw Bigfoot on their property. I would find skulls. I, I, this went on for probably two years 
where I found skull and not, I'm not digging around for him. I'm not like, you know, digging under bushes. For instance, a guy saw him on the uh, two Bigfoot on his property or across the pond. He wouldn't even go across the pond. He called me, saw him the day before and I was able to get out there and the next day. I was like, I will be there tomorrow. So he wouldn't go even go to the area across the pond where he saw me. He's like, I'm not going over there. I was like, all right, I'll go over. I said, I'm going to go across the pond. I'm going to raise my walking stick. You tell me how tall they were. You tell me, you tell me to stop where they were standing, et cetera, et cetera. I go across. He says, okay, stop there. That's where they were. And I raised my walking stick. He's like, okay, they were, they were about that tall, you know, about eight, nine feet tall. Uh, and after, you know, we do all this, I look down right where he said the creatures were standing. There's just perfectly clean deer skull just sitting there stuff like this happened again and again. I, like I said, I've been collecting skulls my entire life since I was a little kid. In those two years, I found more skulls, many, many more skulls than I had collected in my entire life before. It's like they were just coming out of the, the woodwork to me. It was insane. I, it was crazy. My daughter, she's not much into the paranormal, but she likes skulls and she was uh, overjoyed. It's like, I'm just bringing skulls home left and right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a very weird series of events, and and like I couldn't go out on a paranormal thing without finding a skull there for you know most times for like I said about two years. It's died down now, but uh, it was pretty incredible. You know, I don't know what's going on in a house of yours, but <laughs> it it sounds it sounds like a pretty fun time. That yeah. was that was extraordinary. That that story. You know what? I I know I wasn't there, but I'm sitting here visualizing this as you're telling the story, and I'm like, "That's Bigfoot. It's got to be. It's got to be." I'm, I, listen, it's, Timothy, I'm convinced. Timothy, the first thing I was thinking is the that they're saying, "Okay, you like the raccoon skull? Here's a deer skull. Guess whose skull is going to be next? <laughs> you don't stop chasing." Like, that's what I'm picturing. Well, another really weird thing happened. So, like, this is this goes on and on and on. And it was um, right before the pandemic, literally right before the pandemic. This was like the day before they shut everything down. I was back out on Toad Road again with my buddy, Chad. He's my main research partner. And we're hiking there. And. The, the it was really uh, it had been a, the trail had been really wet. We kind of had to get up on this ridge and kind of get around this one part of the trail. It's just way too muddy to uh, to hike this right alongside a creek. And I get up on this ridge, and as we're coming down from this ridge back to the trail, th- there's a skull, and I see the skull, and I'm like, "What the heck?" Uh, oddly enough, there was a a mylar balloon about two or three feet from the skull, which is a whole other thing, like the mylar balloons uh, that people are finding with this stuff. But uh, that's a, another story for another time. But anyway, see a mylar balloon four feet away. I see a skull. I'm like, oh, look, there's a skull. I pick it up and I'm like, that is a weird looking skull. And I was like, no, that's a pig skull. And I'm looking at it and it's got a, a small caliber hole in, in the skull, like a, a 22 or something like, oh, and this would mean nothing to anybody else but me. This is the weird thing. There was a story I found about Toad Road, and I don't think I published it in my first book, about two kids who were out there, and they were slaughtering pigs with a 22, a 22 pistol. And uh, one of them dropped the pistol and shot himself above the heart. I think he killed himself. And here I find this pig skull with this small caliber hole in it. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Like, it means, like, I don't know if that's the skull or not, but 
it just blew me away because I'm like, no one else knows this story about this. You know, like this is a story from 1909 or something. I dug out of the newspaper. I'm like, what the heck? It's because a pig skull with a small caliber hole. And I, I tell Chad, and I'm, I'm like, you know, he's used to me having these, you know, revelations like this. I'm completely blown away. We go up, we we do the whole trail, you know, and we're, we're coming back in the, in the same area. And uh, Chad takes a step off the trail. I've, I don't know if he was urinating or what, but he, for, for whatever reason, he just had to step off the trail. And he, he starts laughing and he comes back holding another pig skull. It was so weird. It was just the weirdest day. And there's not, we don't have wild boar in this, in this County. So, you know, I don't know what that, and there's no pig farms near there. There's no, there's no farms at all near there. So I can't imagine what these were. Wow. I guess the moral of the story is, is, uh, there's never a dull moment in the woods with Timothy Reddish. No, wait a second. You mentioned balloons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's balloons. Oh, oh gosh. Is, is this a whole nother, like, uh, crazy? Well, so we had this, okay, there's this whole other thing, area called Pandemonium, which is up in Tuscarora State Forest. And uh, we went there and we went there because it was a, a ghost town and there were ghost stories associated with this place. So, you know, we went there for the, for the podcast. So I said, Hey, let's do a story about pandemonium. thought we were going there for ghost stuff. We decided to camp out there. Um, at about three 30 in the morning, I'm woken up by tree knocks about maybe 50 yards from my tent. Just, they sound like baseball bats. Bang, bang, bang. I had the presence of mind to hit record on my recorder. I, I actually recorded them and uh, I'm sitting there listening to him and I'm, you know, I'm like freaking out at this point. Cause I can hear Chad snoring in his tent. And I'm thinking, Oh man, this is going to be one of those times where like, I, I don't know if you've heard, you know, the stories where people can't wake other people up, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with this by myself. Chad's not waking up. Uh, luckily, uh, you know, a few minutes go by and he goes, what, do you hear that? I'm like, oh yeah, I've been hearing that. That's, that's wood knocks, man. So we, we got up and had this pretty harrowing night with things kind of walking around our campsite all night. It was, it was pretty crazy, but, uh, on a return trip and there's a whole other story. It's really too long to get into. Um, there's a whole other story that, uh, I don't know if you know, Tobe Johnson from, um, uh, strange brow radio. No, I do not. Okay. So mm-hmm. he, he's had a whole bunch of this weird Bigfoot stuff with like apports and all kinds of weird stuff. And he had sent me a bunch of stuff. We, we decided to do this experiment. I'm like, hey, let me send you a bunch of stuff that I feel was quote unquote gifted to me. You send me a bunch of stuff that you feel was gifted to you. And then let's let's re-gift them. Like, so I'll, I'll put the stuff out. He's in uh, Oregon, I think, or Washington State. He's in Washington State. I said, I'll put the stuff from Washington State out here in Pennsylvania. You put the Pennsylvania stuff out there, and let's just see what happens. Let's see if anything weird happens. So one of the things he gave me was a a, a little uh, cedar ball that I put up in the, in the cemetery there at Pandemonium. So all this weird stuff happens. We go up and check in the morning. I put the cedar ball there the night before. In the morning, the cedar ball is like balanced on the very end of this rock. Like it had been moved out to like impossibly balanced on the end of this rock. It's crazy. And uh, I'm driving home from that. And I get this call from Tobe and he's like, Hey, do you still have that cedar ball? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, and I thought he kind of wanted it back. Cause part of our agreement was like, 
I was going to put it out in a place that was nearby so I could check it regularly and, and update them to see what happened. Well, Pandemonium is about two hours away from me. So I thought, oh, man, is, is he asking for this back? Like, So I was like, why are you asking? He's like, because one just appeared outside my house. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, no. So I was like, all right, I said, I'm going to go back up and I'm going to check that. Oh, you know, I, said, I don't know if I'm going to get there. This was like Monday, I think. So I'm going to go up on Friday. I, I, I don't know if I can get there before then. I'm going to go up on Friday and see if it's there. So I go back up on Friday and it, it was there at the cemetery. So I don't I don't know what that means. But it was very, very odd that he, he just calls me out of nowhere and says he had the cedar ball appear outside his house after that. But when we were there that Friday, Chad sees something in the woods out behind the cemetery, pandemonium. And he takes off after it. And uh, I was with his son. His son was with us. His son, I think his son was like maybe 10 or 12 at the time. I didn't want it, his son to get scared. And I didn't want to like, I can't run off after Chad and leave his son either, right? So I'm, I'm kind of hanging out with his son and we're kind of slowly following Chad. And uh, eventually Chad stops and, you know, I catch up to him. I was like, what did you see? And he's like, he's like, I don't know. I saw something on two legs running through the woods. You know, he's like, and he just followed after it. And right where he said it stopped at this tree. He's like, this is, this is the last place I saw it. And right there was a Mylar balloon where, where he said it stopped. I was like, and I said, you know, people, some people say this Mylar balloon stuff is connected. Well, this was before this. I don't know if you've seen the documentary series, Hellier. Oh, I've heard of it. I've not yeah, watched it. I've never got to see it. It's a pretty cool series um, that deals with like the high strangeness aspects of the, the paranormal and stuff and a lot of synchronicity and stuff. Well, this was before season two of Hellier came out. Coincidentally, I, some of my music is the soundtrack for uh, this, the last episode of, of season two of Hellier. They, they used some of my music for that. I think most of the episode is actually my, my music is the soundtrack. And uh, But I had no... I had no insight. I had no, I didn't know what they were really doing What you know, what the story of that season was going to be. But a big part of that season is finding Mylar balloons in these, along with these weird, like synchronistic places, you know? So that ended up being part of it. But here we are, we started finding these Mylar balloons before this season of, of hell your airs. And then we, we started finding them around places too. So it's just like, I don't know if it's a marker of something saying, pay attention, I remember reading back years ago that people saying like, oh, Bigfoot mark their territory with blue Walmart bags and Mylar balloons. I mean, it's complete insanity, right? Like, like who, who knows? But I, you know, I do remember reading that like way, way back when. So I'm not the first person to, to come up with this Mylar balloon thing. But we just started noting like, hey, we start finding Mylar balloons around. And sure enough, we started finding them. And then that season two of Hellier comes out and that the Mylar balloons are a big thing in that. They started finding help Mylar balloons around in, in these different places they went. Um, you know, so it could be coincidence, but it's, it's just something we noted. Oh my gosh. There's nothing. There's not going to be anything left, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Timothy, before we let you go, I want, I wanted to, I wanted to, give you a chance to tell our listeners so this is your this is your only chance because i know uh you're gonna need you need the help <laughs> for selling books for selling books like west does for listeners okay if you could recommend one of your books to get our that our, any of our listeners could purchase and read knowing that it would hook them into buying every other book that you wrote which would be the first one you would recommend? 
I guess it would be where the footprints end, which is a bit of a not fair answer because it's a two volume set. But uh, and, and, <laughs> but once they buy volume one, I'm confident they'll they'll buy volume two. That's a great marketing ploy. Don't beat yourself <laughs> up over that answer. I mean, come on, that's that's that's, that's a great answer. No, so, uh, that explores like all the weird stuff in connection with Bigfoot. And, uh, you know, I, I said, I think I said in one of the books that, you know, it's a book that should have been written long before uh, I wrote it with a, uh, another guy, Josh Cutchin. We, we wrote it together and it's long before we did it. That book should have been written 40 years ago. And it, and I, I couldn't believe it wasn't. And uh, I think it's going to be probably you know, I hope it's not the, it's not the single thing I'm remembered for as far as an author, but it it, it may be uh, it may be the one. You know, as, as time goes on, that might be the one that that people say, oh, that's that's the important one. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that's that's the one I guess I'd I'd tell people to start with. There you go, everybody. There's your <laughs> there is your directive. Uh, go get that first book where the where the footprints end. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep, there's two volumes, volume one and volume two. You can you can actually start with volume two if you want. There's not, that's not like to be continued. It's uh, they work independently, but uh, they do complement each other very well. And I and I did. You guys were on Wes's show talking about that mm-hmm. uh, book, and I was just like blown away, you know, by the stuff. Just like I have been here right now, just hearing. It's just the wealth of information from all the research you've done and the experience. Because you're talking about stuff that has actually happened to you. And I think that is kind of cool that you're out there actually experiencing some of the stuff firsthand and really doing a lot of the research out out in the field. It's never been my goal to be a scientist. I'm, I'm, I'm at heart a folklorist, which I like documenting stories. And I'd like to make the point that folklore is not fiction. Like if you read folklore... Um, it's been fictionalized over time, but it's not fiction. Now, folklore is our, our ancestors talking about the same weird stuff. They, they had different names for it. But again, it, it, the behavior is, is very much the same as what people are talking about today uh, with these these weird things in the woods or, you know, ghosts or whatever they're talking about. Um, but I, John Keel was my hero for this stuff, and he never tried to separate himself. He just put himself right in the mix, and that's that's what I've always wanted to do. Like, I'm not trying to be a scientist and just document other people's stuff. Just get me get me in, put me in, coach. I want to be in the mix and see what happens. <laughs> I love that. I love that attitude for sure. Yep. And you're and you're right. I agree uh, wholeheartedly with the whole with the folklore and you know the stuff that uh, the the stories the Native Americans told and. And even like the the quote unquote fairy tales mm-hmm. of Europe and stuff, that's all rooted in fact. Yep. You know? And like you said, sure it's is. been it's been sensationalized or whatever. You know, whether it's by Walt Disney or uh, you know whoever the Brothers Grimm to sell books. So you know, all that stuff is is rooted in some truth. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, so. to the, to the point where I've I you know I've had some pretty scary um we'll just call them issues we, we don't have time to go into it with with you know something in the woods and uh, you could, i looked at the the folklore you know just, just like basically tells you how to handle this stuff how to how to deal with it and uh it worked for me so <laughs> that's all i can say you know it's, it's uh, you know so it seems to apply so like I, like I said i think our ancestors kind of figured this stuff out through trial and error you know hundreds of years before we ever did 
So, so let everybody know, other than going and, and listening to uh, uh, your fantastic show, Strange Familiars, where else can they find uh, you and some of your work? So most of my books are on Amazon. Uh, you can just look me up, Timothy Renner. My stuff should come up. The only book that's not on Amazon is I did a collection of my illustrations. Uh, that's called apparitions illustrations of the other that you can get directly from me i'm trying to get it on amazon but that's a pain um <laughs> it's, they, they, they my other books are you know they're kind of published uh, via self-publishing through amazon they have like a program so it's easy to get them on amazon but this one because it's an art book i didn't want to do it that way i wanted to have it printed up a little bit nicer uh, you know printing and uh, I haven't been able to get it on Amazon yet, but I'm working on that. But anyway, that one you can get through me as well as all my other books. Uh, you can find me at strangefamiliars.com. You can find my podcast there. All those links go to me. All the contact information there goes to me. So that's the easiest place. If you go to strangefamiliars.com and uh, anybody who wants to share their stories with me or talk about weird stuff, uh, you know, I, I live and breathe this stuff. So I'm, I'm happy for all the contact. <laughs> Well, well, Timothy, I am glad. Uh, I got to be honest that we're talking to you and not Jeremy Renner or whatever. <laughs> I because I think the the conversation was much better with you than it ever could be with him. So uh, I appreciate you coming on with me and Jason and uh, sharing some of your thoughts and and some of your stories. And I hope everybody goes and checks. Uh, Check your podcast out and then starts with the volume one of where the footprints end. And uh, because it's just, I appreciate every, all the, all the work you've put into this. Trust me. So. Oh, thanks so uh, much. I I think everybody else will too. So. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was our pleasure for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll come back too. I got, I got more stories. You want to have me back? Yes. Uh, well, hey, we'll just have to wait and see if anybody liked it. All right. Sounds good. Oh, I believe they're going to like it. They're going to like it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Timothy. Have a good night. You as well. Yep. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. 
Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.